It's World 8-4. Hyrule Castle has collapsed. You've climbed the ladders to claim the princess. This episode of Octal FM is all about our favourite video game boss battles. Hello and welcome to another episode of Oxl FM. I am Sefran. And I'm Gelato. And we're back with a classic list episode this episode. Uh, we haven't done one for a little while, so we uh, we thought we'd have a nice little jaunty chat about some of our favourite things. And the episode title's already given it away, and the preamble, of course. Um, but we're discussing our favourite boss fights, or mm. boss battles, I suppose, really. Not necessarily fights, in some instances. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, not all of the sort of most memorable ending boss challenges have to be straight up fights uh, mm. as is one of mine is definitely not a fight no you've um, gone for some i've sort of gone for some fairly cliche ones and you've gone for some you know a little bit more uh intrigue to yeah them. Like, a boss fight doesn't have to be a fight you know it just it has to culminate the mm. game as a whole and be a final challenge to cap everything off you know agreed uh, which is certainly what we've gone for yeah, and like I say, you've gone a little bit more classic. So, uh, if you want to go ahead with your first, yeah, I mean, if you if we're talking about capping off a a game or a a few rounds, in the case of my first choice of favorite bosses, uh, because one that really stood out to me was uh, Master Hand on the from the original Smash Brothers. You know, mainly because I think that it's just so different to the other fights in Smash Brothers. Like it's mm. like you feel like you know what the deal is as you play it and then there's something it's got quite a lot of like gravity to it you know Mm. it feels quite like a like a game-changing moment to swap from here are like just some fights and you know one after the other to this like oh now you're fighting this like crazy character that is not the same as as anything else that you fought and you know i love that it's sort of spawned this whole being able to play as master hand right you know there was that always that kind of yes, like rumor yeah. and in fact i think there was like some i think like years and years later like not that long ago someone discovered a like glitchy kind of trick that meant that you could play as master hands yeah it didn't really work properly but you yeah sort of like and it's make like the, it, game, the game crashes yeah. a bit and stuff yeah. like that but like you could do it in the game and you know, I just, it's just cool. Like the way that it, like it has its own bunch of moves, mm. but it's just very different to the other characters in well, the game. Well, it forces you to change your fight style so incredibly much because up until that point, you've been playing one of the, is it eight characters or 10 characters in the original? Oh, I, I can't remember. Was, I think it was eight. And, you know, you, you've sort of learned how to fight with that character and also how to fight against the other characters and you move in certain ways. And, and then Master Hand just throws all that out of the window. Yeah. Pardon the pun. Ha. Because... He's so much bigger, but also, so he has a high, easier way, you know, you can hit him more because there's more to hit, but then he can attack a lot more of the screen at once. So you can't just kind of dodge out the way of things or roll or whatever, you know, you have to yeah. shield more often as well from attacks. You can't just simply move out the way of them because sometimes you just can't yeah. dodge them in time. Also, he has um, like an HP that falls, right? Rather than the yeah. traditional Smash Brothers style where it's like people are increasing in percentage damage and then once it's really high they might get knocked off but with master hand it's just like a stamina fight 
Yeah, down. which is really different. And many of the subsequent Smash Bros. games added those features as like normal fights. Yes, like I think did. even in Melee, you had like a yeah, you could change a, a stamina, it stamina fight. But in the original game, I don't think you could do that. And even I if you could, that so. certainly isn't the normal way to fight. So if you've got no experience up in this, this is your very first time going through the single player sort of side of things of uh, mm. Smash Bros. This is quite a cool, like out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. And I I always really liked as well because the original Smash Brothers kind of has a sort of weird metaphysical story presented through the intro a little bit in Mm. that you're kind of like, it's a little bit like Toy Story style. Yes. You're kind of actually toys being played with by like a kid. Mm. That's what like you're like little action figures coming to life kind of thing. And the master hand is like like the kid that's playing with you kind of thing and then you're like fighting the thing that's playing with you it's i don't know it's sort of it's just an interesting kind of concept and you know it really they carried on with that theme right master hand is in all the games and if you look at uh the most recent one smash brothers ultimate that adventure mode and classic mode have got these sort of like challenge fights that are very similar to master hand where you've got like a a big thing that you need to fight like there's a mm. rathalos for example from uh, monster hunter uh, you know, and it behaves very similarly to how Master Hand behaves in the original Smash Brothers in that it's got certain moves it does and it has a certain yeah. amount of HP. And, like a set pattern of attacks know. and stuff and everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I really enjoy, I just, Master Hand is just a, definitely a boss I think of when I think about like, what are, what are the fun boss battles? I feel like it really distills it down and does something new for like a fighting game in the same way that Smash Brothers did something new for fighting games in general, hmm. right? Uh, it's sort of a continuation. And it was hard too. Like, it was if hard, you put yeah. it on the higher difficulty it levels, it's not easy to do because, unlike a normal battle where you sort of have to just like rush to knock them off the stage before they do too much damage to you, you can't rush the fight. You have to take your time and hit him, hit him, and then block the attack. So, yeah, and, if and you like, rush, you're gonna die. It fight it. It hits so much area as well that it's mm. like it's really difficult to even even if you shield everything, you just immediately run out of shield. Yeah. So. It was always a challenge and even and in ultimate as well it's a challenge you know sometimes in ultimate you know you fight master hand and crazy hand at the same time and i'm yeah. like i am not I'm like i can't do this <laughs> like, there's I'm so gonna much die. going on, on the screen at the same time it's yeah. so hard to balance it all but that's really cool they've kept that through and you know they sort of the story got a little wacky and weird in the smash brothers <laughs> games in classic <laughs> japanese fashion but you know master hand is still there and i like that i like that continued theme for sure hmm. but yeah so that's a very it's a reasonably traditional kind of boss. Uh, not much to it. You know, it's just literally a massive hand attacking you and poking you. But uh, your first pick, we've actually touched on before, right? Have, way, yes. way back in episode 15, when we were talking about our favorite music in video games, mm. you mentioned the music to this particular boss fight. Mm. So I feel, I thought like I would get the, uh, the obligatory MGS entry out of the way because (laughs) I don't think a boss list exists on the internet that doesn't have a Metal Gear Solid boss on it. So I thought we'd get this one first. Uh, But yeah, I've, if you remember that episode way back in the day for our diehard fans, this is not one of the normal picks either. This one's a little bit kind of left field. So I've chosen, it's the final fight between Snake, your character, and Liquid Ocelot uh, at the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, we did talk about this because this was in our favourite music episode. 
because one of the aspects of this fight is that the music changes throughout the fight to reflect the different yes. games that it, the fight represents as it goes through sort of the eras of these characters' conflicts throughout the whole game series, uh, which is why I liked it so much because it was such a wonderful mm-hmm. transition from sort of like one type of music to another. But you can go back and listen to that episode for that. But this is still, a, even with the music, right? And even if you forgot the music, it's still an amazing fight. Like, it's just a great final climax. So even before the battle happens, it's had a wonderful uh, build-up. So this is the final fight of the game, uh, which is also the final climactic conflict of the whole series chronologically as well. Right. This is where literally everything ends. The subsequent games like Metal Gear Solid 5, for example, were all prequels, so they're set like before this event, really. Hmm. So this is very much the end of the road for our character in Snake. And up until this point, there's a battle raging on outside between uh, kind of like the good guys and the bad guys, essentially. Uh, Snake's had to crawl through a, a corridor that's like filled with microwaves that are killing him, and you, you have to mash the button as much as you can just to get him through this corridor to begin with. So you're physically tired by the end of it because you're thumbsided from smashing the button, you know. And it's it an feels interesting like, concept, right? Like tiring it, you out as part exactly. of the boss fight. <laughs> And that is such a Metal Gear thing to do to try and make the fight even more visceral. And then when you finally get to the top of the the submarine, which is where you fight it, of course you fight it on top of a nuclear submarine, right? You then get to like treat it to like a four or five minute long cutscene of them just fighting, like cinematography wise. And then it it's just this cool fight scene with all these different style of martial arts between them. And then finally, as they both sort of realize they're equally matched with each other they drop sort of these like nanomachine injector pen things they've been using to like you know boost their health essentially within the game and they inject each other with it because they want to have like a final kind of epic showdown between these two kind of rivals so Um, over the top it's incredibly over the top but that's what makes it wonderful in my opinion it's so enjoyable because it's so manly and it's so like hugely gravitas it's brilliant but then the fight itself is a really enjoyable multi-layered uh, fight just like the music in that it has four different stages so when the fight first starts you start out in a fight style very similar to the first game metal gear solid one on the playstation mm. and then as you fight and you you hurt each other and your health bar gets lower and lower it transitions into each game from which these two are from so it goes into two and then three and then four all with their own different fight styles and their own different music and their different stances mm. and tempo as well. Things kind of like start really fast and they get slower and slower as the combatants get more more tired and more hurt. And it just when you're at the end, you are literally just slugging each other across the face with no finesse whatsoever because you're mm. both just sort of completely drained. And you feel drained as well because you're at the end of this climactic series that you've been invested in for so many years and it's coming to an end and you're literally beating your rival you know to his senses almost um Mm. it's interesting it's sort of uh you know that kind of fourth wall breaking aspects of this boss fight in the sense Mm. that it's a boss fight in a game but also it reflects the like you say like the the climax of the whole series as well and it and it you know it reflects it so directly by drawing from the other games as well you know and sort of recognizing that those games were a thing it's, so, it's something that you'd sort of not really ever seen in a in a book or a film where no. that has a climax you know or an old boss in inverted commas i know yeah. films don't really have bosses but they kind of do you know you wouldn't necessarily see that it quite so directly hmm. but it's, that's something you can do in video games and you know draw on 
previous games in the series uh, i think that that's really interesting and really you know this adds an extra layer of depth to a you know what is quite a chunky chunky fight and a chunky part of the game it's left such a great impression as a result as well like i'll always think about that series now you've played however many games you have in your entire life but mm. so many certain games really stick with you and this is one of them for me Honourable mentions within the Metal Gear series as a whole go to the obvious ones, such as the Psycho Mantis fight from the first game, where you have to like change your controller port around um, so you can't <laughs> read your mind. The fight against uh, the end in Metal Gear Solid 3, where you have to do a sniper duel with him, but you can win by changing your PlayStation's clock two weeks in the future, so he dies of old age. Hang on, and then- all of the... Sorry, I didn't realise that the Metal Gear Solid fights have like weird yeah <laughs> weirdly like fourth wall breaking yeah. console related no wonder now it all makes sense no wonder that, i mean this one's pretty tame in comparison it, it is, only just yeah. references the previous games it's not like it tells you to put the you know metal gear solid one disc in in order to beat <laughs> it wouldn't have been surprising to me if that was on the yeah. table at some point and like executives at konami basically told to kojima no calm down don't you know don't, don't go too far <laughs> Uh, you know, that wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have made you do that to be able to actually beat them. Or you have to you have, have to four PlayStations, yeah. one each playing the game. Exactly. And- <laughs> Somehow make the sound of the game, yeah. make it recognisable in the PlayStation 4's microphone controller. Right. And yeah. You can see Kojima <laughs> doing something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't want to pick sort of like the more obvious and, and often picked ones. Uh, I want to do something a little bit more uh, interesting and different. But another one that I really wanted to mention as well, because it's, in my opinion, not the best fight, but it is the most impactful fight, which is the fight against the boss in Metal Gear Solid 3 right. at the very end, where there's a really great fight and she's been sort of like your rival throughout the whole series and she's clearly superior to you in every single way, mm-hmm. but yet you still have to fight her nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you finally sort of best her, even though she basically lets you best her, at the end, when you kind of have to deliver the final blow sort of thing, you, the player, has to pull the trigger. The game doesn't do it for you. You, The game freezes basically in place with the game sort of like waiting for you to pull the trigger to, to, to end her. Right. Uh, but this is like your mentor and she's been this presence within the game who you, you, know, you like and you want to save essentially, but you have to kill her to save her sort of thing. It's mm. very, very impactful. And it's a really amazing moment in, in the series as a whole. But mm. uh, but yeah, so I'll stop gushing at Metal Gear Solid now. <laughs> <laughs> but I could we could do a whole list on all of the boss fights, oh, as, yeah. as we said. It's so sure. unique and interesting. Day. Going from one very strange and weird boss fight to basically the most classic boss fight oh, I yeah. can think of. I can't think of a more classic and archetypical boss within video games than your next pick. A hundred percent, right? I have gone for all the classics in this. There is no boss fight more classic, really, than Bowser, specifically in Super Mario 64. And why I sort of, why this particularly stood out for me is because you know, it's really a, a very, very early example of a 3D boss fight, hmm. right? Like, and I think that that is sort of, you know, that is what makes it stand out to me so much. And it feels, looking back in retrospect, it it's such a, the mechanic of the boss fight is so indicative of the fact that it is in 3D. Yeah, they use the 3D to the advantage rather than it just being a gimmick. Right. It's not like it, you know, it's not like you're jumping over him or, you know, it's not like, you know, fighting him in the sort of traditional Super Mario way. It's, you know, you've got to get around him and you've got to pick him up by his tail and swing him around. And it's like, that's such a, you can only do that in 3D, right? There's mm. no, you could never do that 
you could never really achieve that in 2D. This is very much Nintendo living by their mantra of like, if it's in the game, it has to be in the game for a reason. It's not just there because we need it to be. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it really stands out to me. And obviously you you have the same fight multiple times, it just sort of gets progressively a little bit harder over time. It's also one of those things that like um, initially it's really difficult. Like it's very difficult to get the timing right as you're swinging him around and letting mm. him go. And But then over time, the more you play it and the more you get used to it, the easier it gets. Right. And you eventually get very good at it. I like that. I like that about it, that you know, it is a boss fight that you're going to do multiple times, especially if you play through the game again, uh, which is, you know, quite likely, whether mm. it's the remake on the 3DS or or just playing the N64 version yeah, again. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is when people would have played this quite a few times as well, because there were less games to choose from, there were less systems to choose from. So yeah. playing such a classic game like this, like the first game on the Nintendo 64 as well, yeah. you know, there's a good chance that it was played multiple times. So that you'd get that experience each time of getting better and better at besting the classic boss. Yeah, exactly. As Mario 64 is not so long that you, you would avoid a, a multiple playthrough. You know, I, I just... Yeah, it just it stands out to me. You know, I'm definitely pulling all the nostalgia strings with my mm. choices here. But, you know, nonetheless, I think that it really captures, like you say, like, I, I feel like I couldn't I couldn't not include it because it's just such a such a pinnacle uh, kind of boss fight. I mean, even the not even the boss itself, but the character of Bowser you know he's so iconic as the, as the bad guy yeah uh, exactly. you know he he is the the main video game bad guy if someone said like name a video game boss they would name bowser you know it's pretty simple it's interesting because when you think about some of the earlier mario games the bosses are fairly the boss fights are fairly straightforward right mm. because it's 2d and it's sort of jump over him or jump on him and there's not really a lot else to that's it that's kind of it to it usually yeah and this sort of brought in it's still one mechanic but it just sort of added a little bit more to it i think mm. than the than the earlier games and one of the other things that the this game particularly 64 does so well is that he has his own level leading up to him so you, yes. you're kind of climbing up to him and you and the levels aren't too easy either like they're not the easiest of levels because they get lots of like easy areas to fall off of and stuff so getting to him feels like a challenge so when you do finally get there you feel like almost rewarded to have a fight yeah um it's not just presented sort of like at the end of when you've collected so many stars automatically here's the boss right yeah it is I mean, the boss really and you captured... have to go and fight him yeah they really captured the kind of you know the sort of traditional castle level you know mm. end of world level uh, that is typical in a mario game they really capture that well in those in those levels like they're very you know they're quite abstract as is a lot of mario 64 i guess like it's mostly like floating worlds in the middle of a in the middle yeah. of a skybox um and the castle ones are no exception like it's just lava all around you right as far as you can see but you know that's that's part of its charm and that's part of that transitional period really from those 2d castle games to the 3d where mm. it's sort of shifted into this it's interesting because those levels those bowser levels are quite 2d in their in their style yes, in that they're yeah. sort of it's very much like you say like a climb or a you know a slog through the linear level. path yeah whereas the other levels in the game are mostly very open because they yes. have multiple stars in them and it's sort of a real change in pace from the rest of the game not like it's a boss world particularly you know and, and mario 64 has bosses across all of its levels right like yes, all of the yeah. levels have like one boss at the end uh or a couple of bosses but 
the levels, the fire levels, if you like, are are very kind of constrained to that, like you say, that particular sort of feeling of climbing and reaching Bowser at the end. Yeah, he's very much the the, the reason you're there this time round, rather than going to try and find more stars. Exactly, it, you're exactly there the... to fight Bowser and fight to get to him in the first place. You've got it. And speaking of you know having a real slog. Uh, to reach the the boss and the the fight the you know the finale of the game, uh, your second choice is very very much that right. Mm, I went for quite a another off the wall choice here with another boss fight, uh, which was the Rebel flagship from FTL Fast and Light. Uh, this is a game I've put so so many hours into, and a lot of those hours are then cut short by fighting this monstrosity <laughs> if you've not played ftl because it's uh it's like a little indie pc game uh, i highly recommend it it's a wonderful game i'm not sure if we've really talked about it too much on the show before but essentially it's like a spaceship simulator style uh roguelike game where you start out with kind of weak little spaceship and you have to go through different galaxy sectors to be able to like, upgrade your ship and kind of fight your way through to the to the end level basically where you're trying to reach a goal and when you get to the goal there's this giant enemy spaceship in the way that you've got to you've got to fight now with your very much souped up ship in the process Mm -hmm. so each kind of playthrough lasts anywhere from an hour to two hours depending on like how well you do or or like how much you rush through certain things and along the way you'll be upgrading your ship and you'll be making conscious choices about like uh, should i kind of get more power or should I get more shields or should I focus on weapons or and you can also choose sort of what types of weapons you have so should I have mostly like missiles or should I use drones and all that kind of stuff so it's very much a customizable experience with the different ships you can choose to start with too the rebel flagship doesn't really care what you've gone for because it's so strong it's so (laughs) overpowered and you have to fight it three times as well Um, and each time it gets progressively harder so when you get there, you feel pretty powerful. Your ship can mostly deal with even the strongest of sort of the generic AI fights now at this point. And then that really does lull you into a false sense of security because no matter how powerful you are, no matter how much you've souped up your ship, it, it's still not enough to beat the main flagship without a yeah. fight, if that makes sense. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because unlike the all the other bosses, I think, on this list, the Rebel flagship is kind of a boss that is designed to win because FTL is a roguelike. Yes. Right? And that means that the game airs on the side of killing you. Yes. Right? Rather so- than other boss fights, for example, like, say, Liquid Ocelot um, or even Bowser to some extent, yeah, where they're designed to allow them to be beaten in a yeah. cool way to make you feel accomplished. Yeah. This is the opposite way. It's trying to kill you. Yeah, they're really, really, not, really hard. You know, the game developers are not expecting you to go into fighting Bowser and lose, right? They're expecting you to feel quite like there's some peril and to feel like it's a challenge and maybe die once. But you know, it's going to be a quick rest- restart to go back in, and you know, then you're. It's like, okay, I've got it. I know how to do this. I can beat it, and that tends to be it. Whereas with something like a roguelike, you know, it's really about. Maybe not this time, and also maybe not the next time, or the time after that, or the time after that. <laughs> but when you do finally get it, like when you when you work out its pattern and you've got a plan going in, because there's lots of ways you can do it. There isn't like one set best way of doing it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you manage it, and with a little bit of luck and a little bit of skill and and just a whole lot of pausing and working stuff out, um, 
and you finally blow up that that ship the third time. Yeah, you have to kill it three times, essentially. It's so satisfying. It's unbelievably satisfying mm-hmm. to know that you your little ship that could has finally made it all the way <laughs> and you've blown up this yeah. uh, absolute monstrosity. Yeah. But it, it's, as well as all that as well, the game makes it even though you can pause the game at any time it makes it feel so urgent like Mm. because there's always something going on yeah when the enemy flagship is shooting at you like a lot of the other ships kind of you take turns and they can pause and they they have like lull between shots and stuff like that whereas this there's always something attacking you whether it be weapons whether it be a drone whether it be mind control whatever it's doing it's making your life harder again and again and again and you never get time to breathe and think it does a good job of of, uh, creating freneticism in a Mm. game that lets you pause (laughs) which is super impressive so that's why i think it's one of those fights to experience rather than a character it's not like a character like like liquid ocelot or bowser for example it's very much the experience of the battle rather than the the interesting unique character Mm. or anything yeah and my sort of final choice is kind of uh, in the sense of it being an experience is quite similar because my final choice is less about the exact boss or the character of the boss and more about the sort of set of things that you get to do and the Mm. fact that it is very multi-phased and that is when you fight Andros in Lila Wars. So if you're not familiar with Lila Wars, it's uh, on-rails sort of space shooter for the N64. Funny, all of mine are from the N64, which says a lot about my nostalgia. Well, absolutely. But it also shows about the the quality of the games too. Yeah, definitely. And you go through... This is a game that you will 100% play through multiple times. It's designed to be played through multiple times. Don't forget, it's also known as Star Fox 64 in America. Oh yeah, of course. Star Fox 64, if you're uh, if you're wondering, what what is this game? Lila Wars. What's Lila Wars? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> this mysterious game. I don't game. know why they renamed it for Europe. Uh, yeah, who knows? I think it was a copyright issue, if I remember right. right. Star Fox was copyrighted already. Yes, it was copyrighted to some European uh, company. Anyway, in Lila Wars slash Star Fox, you work your way through multiple levels. I think maybe there's like 10 in total. There are multiple different paths that you can go through, depending on if you take the easy or hard route through the game. And then you eventually reach uh, Venom, which is the final planet that you fight on uh, to go and confront Andros, who is this sort of weird entity i don't really know what andros is meant to be yeah (laughs) it's never really fully explained why he's a giant floating head in space yeah and and it comes from the original right like the the original game uh, on the snes that had the same like floating head kind of thing and they just sort of transferred it to the to the nintendo 64 but the fight you have there's actually kind of four phases to the fight that first of all there's there's sort of like a an all range mode as the game calls it a free-for-all kind of battle and that's where the game isn't on rails and you're yes. fighting you're there's like a dog fight right and you're proper kind of dog fighting with uh the i can't remember the name of them but star it's like wolf. The, yeah star wolf right you're fighting against star wolf you know who you fought previously in the game at some point um if you've gone down various paths and that's always cool because the dogfights in Lilac Wars are just really fun. They feel really good. Yeah, like, it makes you feel epic, like an episode of Top Gun or something. Yeah, 100%. And like you do all of that, you beat them, and then, you know, you go it alone, right? And you go traveling down to the center of Venom, and you go through this weird sort of like cave system. Which a bit like the is, Death Star run almost. It is exactly like the Death Star run. That's a great, that's a great analogy. It is definitely the Death Star run. 
and you work your way through and there's a little bit of like kind of like backstory sort of like andros is kind of taunting you then eventually you come up to andros and you have to fight him now the fight with andros is kind of weird like you have the same <laughs> bit which is the same as the snes one where you're sort of fighting this massive face and with a couple of hands and you have to just kind of shoot his eye or shoot his hands and eventually he dies but then what's weird is that he kind of turns into a floating brain. <laughs> yeah, like if you have taken the harder routes uh, throughout the game, you get to fight him a second time. Yeah. And he turns into a floating brain with eyeballs that shoot out at you. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Um, and then you have to fight weird. him but in a free, free, you know, free for all sort of uh, free range. What's it called? All, all range. All range. All range. You have to fight him in an all range mode fight uh, yes. as you do that. So that kind of multi-layers the fight even more. And it's and, and the all range mode fight isn't that great, to be honest. No. It's like there's like two little eyeballs that are kind of chasing you and you have to and just move kind of a little bit too fast as well. So you can't get behind them easily. So it's just yeah. a lot of cases of like turning around in a circle over and over and over again until you, you yeah. get just the angle. Yeah, that's probably the weakest bit about the fight, I'd say. Definitely, definitely. But then, you know, eventually you kill him and then there's like an escape scene where you sort of have to dash back out of the same kind of death star run style you know sort of corridors and there's not really any peril like you i don't think you can die unless you just hit the sides you can go the wrong way you can go the wrong way that's true so what's happening is that throughout the whole game right your your you know your dad has been killed right like that's the kind of sort of story um but at the end there your dad mysteriously appears in his spaceship uh, to sort of lead you out and he's not really there right like it's it's uh you know, it's a ghost. who knows who it's, knows who knows he guides you out at the moment of peril when you think all is lost exactly exactly but why was he lurking in why was he lurking in the center of venom who knows yeah so james i think it's james mcleod isn't yeah, it? I think he it is yeah james mcleod yeah uh, he comes and you know leads you out right and it sort of feels feels so epic this sort of like you've just killed andros and you're you know you're working your way out and there's sort of this very kind of cathartic sort of like you've fulfilled your your destiny and your dad's mission kind of thing and then eventually you burst out from the center of venom you rendezvous with your wingmates and you know the the big ship great fox or whatever it's called uh and then the game ends right that's the end of the game and yeah it's just it's so cinematic. I think yeah, that's it is the very thing. cinematic. You can you know, tell it, whoever was designing the game that day had finished watching Return of the Jedi. Yeah, like it, <laughs> it feels like a sci-fi film, right? An action-focused film, you know, that you're playing. And yeah, it's got a weird floating brain in it, but <laughs> I don't care because it's just so, you know, it's not too difficult, but it just ticks all the like film-style boxes. You know, it yeah. makes you feel like you're in a sci-fi. So much so, so much more than the rest of the game. Like that is like the real bit where you're like, this is like I'm in a film. Maybe they're also the Independence Day style level. I remember yeah, that one. Yeah, that's definitely. very filmy. But it um, also is a reward too, because if you've gone through the harder route of the game, you get to fight the the different version of Andros and you also get the scene with your dad because you've gone the easier route. You don't get any of that stuff. You just fight the first stage of Andros, you beat him and then you fly out and that's it. Yes. So it's almost like a, not a, not an Easter egg because it's less, you know, it's not that well hidden because it's it's supposed to be found, but it's a, an extra reward for playing through the harder length of the game. I actually forgot that your dad only appears on the hard modes. What mm. I do remember about the easy versus hard is that at the end, the sort of like the end scene, if you go the easy mode, then it like shows Andros's face and he's laughing at you yeah, because you, you don't really beat him. You've, you've only not really beat him. You're not yeah. really kill his brain and his eyeballs yeah exactly so <laughs> you know and that's cool as well you know it like it's such a interesting game 
uh, design the sort of hard and easy path. Yeah, uh, encourage replayability because the game only yeah. lasts like an hour, I think, to play through fully. Yeah, it's not very long. So it encourages you to play through it over and over again and go for high scores and like try and find all the different hidden Easter eggs and different routes and stuff through all the mm. different levels. Of yeah, which there are quite a few. Yeah, um, there's loads very, of permutations of ways you can play the game, uh, which is a fantastic way. And that's a great way to cap it off as well. But yeah, so that's uh, that was my final choice. Uh, Andros in Lilac Wars, uh, you know, I think it sort of speaks to as much of the game as it's game as as a whole, as well as the the bosses in particular. And then what's interesting is that you've exclusively chosen Nintendo sixty four titles. Yes. I'm finishing on a Nintendo sixty four title, <laughs> uh, and this was about like we didn't really talk about what our picks were before we actually sat down to record. So this is certainly not intentional. No, but I've gone for a very much not a boss fight. It's not really even a fight. There's no fighting involved. But I've gone for Grunty's Furnace of Fun from Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> now, if you've played the Banjo games, then you'll be aware that most of the, the ways at the end is they'll have like a quiz show at the end, right? So they have the big chromatic sort of like climb up the tower scene where you, you know, you fight your way through the final area and you expect to fight a boss like in traditional sense, like Bowser, for example. But instead you have to go through a quiz show, yeah. <laughs> which is which was so unexpected. I remember the very first time I was playing the game and I was quite young. I mean, I was probably only like 10 or 11 when this game came out. And I was like, wait, what? What's going on? I don't understand. It's <laughs> like I, a cross I, between like a quiz and like Mario Party. It's yeah, because <laughs> the first one in Banjo-Kazooie, it's almost like a board game style yes. where you move yeah, between yeah, yeah. spaces. And then depending on what space you land on, depends on what question or type of question you get asked. Yeah. Whereas in the second game in Banjo-Tooie, it is a, a straight up sort of buzz in Jeopardy style quiz show. Yeah. Uh, which is why I preferred the first one, because I thought it was more interesting mm. uh, with it being... Uh, on that kind of grid based on and you could choose the kind of questions you went for either they were like visual cue questions or music cue questions or just trivia questions yeah and one of the things that i love about it so so much is that the game rewards you for paying attention to itself the whole way through yeah because these questions are not like obvious ones it's not like no. the two obvious bad answers and the obviously quite correct answer it's not an easy quiz not it's like how shot. many times or how many of kids were there when you went to the iceland was, like, yeah. was there three four or five and you're like uh or it's like what was the name of the b you know that yeah. gave you this and you're like and it's like the three names are like all plausible, plausible names. Kazooie style so you names. had to pay attention and if you got a question wrong you lost some health it's like is uh, it and... buzzy busy or or honey yeah. and you're like yeah exactly Wait. <laughs> it could be any of them so as a result of it it rewards you for playing the game and exploring it, which is the whole point of Banjo. The whole point is to go mm. around and explore these worlds and collect all the individual collector collectible yeah. items, you know, the notes and the jiggies and the, the jinjos, etc. Um, and it, it's great. It's such a fantastic way of rewarding because the game isn't particularly combat heavy. Like, there aren't all that many enemies and most of the enemies you avoid rather than fight. Yeah. Um, so it's great that it didn't just kind of, like, lean back on a, a traditional boss fight. There is a traditional boss fight, in fairness, yeah. afterwards, uh, which is actually still kind of fun as well. Yeah, but I think it's, it's pretty decent. it's certainly not as memorable as no. the uh, as the quiz section. And I, I love it. And I wish more games would do something a little bit like tongue-in-cheek humour as this. And that suits the game so well. Now that you've mentioned it, like, thinking back, that's so cool. You know, I wish this was my... I wish this was my choice. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such a... It's Sorry. such a great, like, 
just completely flipping the idea of doing a boss battle on its heads. And again, mm. something else that you could only, you know, it's such a video game thing to do, you know, yes. break the fourth wall, you know, have a quiz about the game that you just played. And that's part of the game, you know, and all of the game is very lighthearted and, and sort of it takes the mickey out of itself all it the does, time. Yeah. But, you know, this really is the pinnacle of it. And it's just, it just shows just such classic, great, fresh thinking from Rare. Um, yeah, very you know, creative. Really known for it. Like they could have just have done a standard boss fight and that'd be the end of it and people would have been perfectly satisfied. But as a result of it, they made a really memorable uh, sequence that people will remember yeah. forever. And so I great. imagine if we do get a new Banjo game uh, on the Switch, now that we have oh, yeah. Banjo on Smash Bros., <laughs> then I imagine there'll be something very similar to this in the works. Oh, too. I'm sure. Um, and there is a thing exactly like it in ukulele as well. Um, they, you know, yeah. So they, they, they transferred that along as well. But those are just all the like the, the fights, not even fights necessarily, the, the final boss battles that I and yourself have lived with and really remembered mm. and have, have experienced with very fondly. That's certainly not an exhaustive list that we've missed a lot of like more mm-hmm. traditional boss fights. You know, there's a lot of things that we've missed out uh, on Definitely. both be cinematic but also challenging as well. Like, um, you know, something like from a Dark Souls game or something where it's like a big, difficult boss fight. Yeah, I was thinking about that fight. actually. Yeah, when I, was, when I was, you know, thinking about recording the show and I was like, yeah, like something, you know, none of these, these are all very kind of like memorable because of their quirks or charm or, mm. you know, something particular about them rather than just being like a real challenging fight. Right, yes. like we're not, you know, we've not done like Ganondorf, for example, yeah. which is sort of like a, you know, that kind of like real classical, just sort of, you know, challenging fight, skill based fight. Right, none mm. of them are particularly. Maybe I think the Rebel flagship is probably the, the, the most closest one to it, like a skill difficult battle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so you know, you've probably got, you know, you listening, you probably got a, a, a boss in your mind that you're like, that was really great. Uh, and if so we would love to hear about it because it's been a lot of fun talking about these ones i could easily do another episode so we could do like a, another one and mention the fan favorites too yeah definitely definitely uh so let us know you can send us a tweet at octal fm uh, or you can send us an email we're show at octal.fm uh, or you can come grab us on facebook facebook.com forward slash octal fm when it isn't down like it was earlier uh this yes, week that was weird <laughs> But I've had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, uh, and it's been really good. I, I always enjoy doing these list episodes because uh, they're, they're relatively easy to put together, but they're always a lot of fun to discuss and reminisce yeah. and and kind of think about as well. Uh, like I say, having nostalgia glasses on some of these. Very much For so. you especially. So. Hopefully um, our audience age matches us. <laughs> I hope so, because uh, if they don't, they'll be like, what are these old games they're yeah, talking these about? These guys, jeez. Like, <laughs> they're just so, so old. My we God. Are, we are certainly showing our age with our choices here. Um, yeah, you know. Look, I'm so, turning 30 probably by the time this episode goes out, pretty much. Oh so. dear, that's really bad. Uh, but yeah, I hope you really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to uh, to your suggestions of which ones mm. uh, that we should cover on the next show. Uh, but until then, I've been Sefran. And I've been Gelada. And catch us again for another episode of Oxl FM very soon. That's that's it. That's all I have to say about uh, about Bowser. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great segue into another one you have to fight your way through to is the Rebel flagship right at the very end of a long string of galaxies. 
Oh, okay. Well, now I've, exactly got, for you. now I've got to try and do it. Wait. Um... <laughs> so I decided to go another sort of like off the world. Off the world? Off the world? Jeez. Oh. It's from space. I mean, it is from space. Yeah, that's true. It's off world. <laughs> or you can catch us on... You can catch us on email. 